Hi, I'm Dan Primack, and welcome to Axios Recap. Today's Monday, July 6th. Uber stock is up after agreeing to buy Postmates. A major U.S. oil pipeline is about to be shut down, and we're focused on escalating tensions between Silicon Valley and the media. Some of the largest fireworks over the long weekend were on Twitter rather than in the sky. No, don't worry, this isn't about Trump. It's about a back and forth between tech executives and venture capitalists on one side and tech reporters on the other. Here's the short version. A New York Times reporter named Taylor Lorenz tweeted out some screenshots from the public Instagram of a tech company CEO, in which that CEO criticized media coverage of her company. Some tech investors and executives took exception to Lorenz's characterization of the CEO's comments and of amplifying them in the first place. The loudest opponent was a crypto entrepreneur named Balaji Sernivasan, who offered Bitcoin prizes to makers of memes about the episode. In short, it got very ugly very fast. Accusations of harassment, doxing, racism, and even illegal recording of semi-private conversations. The question now is if all of this calms down or if the animosity continues to increase. And if it does increase, if the relationship between the two sides will become so adversarial that each considers the other to be illegitimate. If that happens, it would not only be a loss for tech and for media, but also for the vast majority of consumers in the middle. So let's dig into this with Jason Calacanis, who some of you might know as an angel investor in companies like Uber and Robinhood, or as the host of This Week in Startups podcast. But my first memories of him were running Silicon Valley Reporter, a publication focused on New York startups during the dot-com boom. Thinking back over whatever it's been now 20 years, do you think that the relationship between tech and the tech press is significantly worse now than it was then? Completely different and much worse. Yeah, so what's your thesis? Why do you think it's never been worse? 20 years ago, technology was loved and we were underdogs. We were not powerful. And when I was covering the tech industry, the people who were in the technology industry then were truly what I would call early true believers. They believed in the power of the internet to change the world for good. And the people like Saul Hansel, who were covering technology, or Chris Anderson at Wired, Louis Rossetto at Wired before that, if you look at that group of people, they were technology enthusiasts. And they also shared the belief that technology would be a net benefit for society. Now we fast forward 20 years, 30 years, and there really are two main characters who I think this headed south based on Zuckerberg and Trump. We'll put that aside for one more second, because what also happened in that intermeaning time, and you know this very well, having been in the business, is that the technology industry destroyed the business of news. Craigslist destroyed classifieds, Google destroyed advertising and display advertising. And so the dismantling of the very important role of news, forget about business news or technology news, the news business was explicitly destroyed by the technology business. Do you think tech journalism or business journalism has become tougher on tech because it resents what happened to its business? I don't think frontline journalists do that. I do think the people running the businesses, and Rupert Murdoch has been explicit about this, and you can just look up the quotes, for the last 10, 20 years, he said the technology industry is our adversary. Jason, part of the conversation you and I have had, both in public and in private, about tech coverage today, fast forwarding, has been you believe that on balance, that there is much more negative coverage than there is positive coverage, or at least that you think the balance is off. Prove it statistically, because it seems to me, and so this is what I want you to disabuse me of, that the reason we remember and pay so much attention to, say, the Away story or some of the Uber stories, etc., is because they are the exceptions to the rule. 
That's fine. The other underlying thing that's happened is there's a generation of journalists who have not been raised with fact-checking or editing, and they are advocacy journalists. They want to write stories that make them feel good about fighting for their position in the world. And this happened not in the tech or business publications. What do you think is tech journalism's quote-unquote side right now? What are they advocating for? I would call it just that younger generation. I think people in okay. our generation are still, and even Kara Swisher is going to, you know, and yourself, you're cut from the cloth of let's just go for truth down the middle. I think they are anti-capitalist and they are socialist Democrats. And they want Bernie Sanders and they want socialism. And they do not believe in capitalism. They believe capitalism is a force for a negative human experience. And that's really the change that's occurred. There's a difference between thinking that wealth inequality is a problem as opposed to saying capitalism is bad. Because you can have a capitalism that does not have those extremes. Of course, that's the more subtle debate that you and I have had and that we should be having and that I'm having because I grapple with this. Listen, I am the beneficiary of somebody who went from journalism into and got lucky seven times and created enormous wealth. And so trust me, I think about this all the time. I spent the majority of my life broke. It's only the last 10 years that I've been rich. What happened this past week is that this is all hit ahead because of social media. And social media takes out all empathy. We both know that. And people just talk to each other. Can I ask about the social media stuff over the weekend? There seems to be a lot of people who have basically reached out to me and said, look, you being me are blowing this out of proportion. This is a small quasi-libertarian wing of Silicon Valley tech that's very bent out of shape. It is a small group of reporters who are bent out of shape on the other side. And the vast majority of both groups don't give a damn about any of this and still have a fine relationship. Do you agree with that? Well, tell me about your side. What are your journalists saying in your private chat rooms and threads? I think journalists think that what happened over the past weekend got way out of whack. I think there is also a feeling among tech and business journalists, at least the ones that I talk to, that technology and technology companies have become so incredibly powerful, the most powerful corporate interests in America, or even social interests in America, that they need to be covered and given high scrutiny, kind of like Wall Street has been historically, except Wall Street never really complained about it. Okay. Do you think that the coverage on average, on balance in the major publications is fair? I would really have to go through and index it. I I would say this to me, the average tech media story is company X raised a bunch of money to do this or to do that or acquired this or hired this person to be VP of engineering. Most of them, I think, aren't positive or negative. I think it's the other stories, which are the exceptional ones. And those, by the way, can be cover stories on Forbes, which are usually glowing, and they can be very critical pieces if there is some sort of scandal inside a company. Thank you for sharing what the feeling on your side is. I'll tell you what the feeling is on our side, which is you guys have just given up covering any of the good stuff we do. And that 90%, 95% of what we invest in and the companies we build out here are overwhelmingly world positive. And the intent in building them is world positive. And I can tell you that journalists in the New York Times and journalists in some other publications, seven or eight out of 10 stories are negative. And what I DM them and I ask them is, listen, I know you asked me for inside information. I know you want me to just spill the beans on Uber or Robinhood or this company or that company. Would you consider writing about Blockable or Com.com or Steezy or one of these companies? And what they always tell me is, no, I have to cover this stuff. And so I feel the percentage is off. If you want to write all the negative stories, that's fine. I believe there should be scrutiny. Trust me, nobody has been more critical of Zuckerberg than I. I have been the most critical of Zuckerberg. I think he is the worst force in technology. I think he's the worst force on the planet. I think he's worse than Trump. I think he's in cahoots with Trump. 
Okay, if you take rubles from the Russians to run anti-Hillary racist ads, I can't think of anything less American than doing that. I believe in criticism and I believe it makes you better. But I just think our side, I'm going to put myself on the tech side now. I think that side feels like you're just not covering the good stuff. And that really is the difference that we feel right now. Additionally, the spin is crazy. If you look at the self-driving debate, every time a Tesla goes on fire, you know, it's on the cover of you know, various publications and it's above the fold. But we all know on a percentage basis that much less of them do. Anytime a self-driving car gets in an accident, even though self-driving cars are a massive, massively more safe, according to the statistics, than human-driven cars, that becomes the lead story. Do you believe that the relationship between tech and the press will get better? or worse over the next couple of years? It's a real problem right now. I had security issues over the weekend and I had to put my account on private because I got personal, very serious threats that may require intervention from law authorities. This has gotten completely out of hand. That's also happened to journalists. And I don't want to sit here and complain about it because I'm a public figure. And I know that women and people of color and transgender people go through this every day, 10,000 times what I go through. But we've now reached a point where this has gotten way too personal. The attacks are no longer a productive dialogue. So I'm asking everybody on both sides to take this off of social media, stop attacking each other, and have a private one-on-one discussion with each other about how we can do better. If you as journalists want to attack us and you want to tell us how to run our companies better, you need to be open to hearing our criticism. Maybe consider writing one or two about the hard work we do here every day to try to make companies that make the world better. You know, I invest in a lot of companies that are world positive, and you guys don't write about any of them. We write about some of them. Jason, thank you though very much for joining us. What we're watching today is pipelines, or what we might not be watching much longer. Yesterday, U.S. energy giants Dominion Energy and Duke Energy announced that they were scrapping something called the Atlantic Coast Pipeline, which would have carried natural gas 600 miles from West Virginia to North Carolina. And then earlier today, a U.S. District Court judge ruled that the controversial Dakota Pipeline will have to shut down, at least for now. All of which raises a big question that I asked Axios Energy reporter Amy Harder. Is the era of big energy pipelines over? I think the answer is increasingly yes, because environmentalists have been successful beginning a decade ago with the Keystone XL pipeline, which, by the way, still is not operating. Number two is that Trump's attempts to fast track some of these projects is actually backfiring in the courts, which is what happened today with Dakota Access. And then the last one is that there has actually been a huge build out in a lot of oil and gas pipelines around the country over the last decade. And now the country is largely supplied enough. And so a lot of these pipelines just are not needed. Today, we're also watching Uber, which this morning agreed to buy meal delivery company Postmates for $2.6 billion. This is basically Uber's consolation prize for losing out on Grubhub last month. Although it's still possible that this new deal will face serious antitrust review before it's scheduled to close early next year. And finally, We are watching price tags for apple pies and cherry pies as COVID-19 has caused major apple and cherry farms in Washington state's Yakima Valley to slow their field work, according to a story in the Wall Street Journal. In short, temporary field workers are being required to socially distance in their housing after some outbreaks, which has resulted in fewer field workers and eventually could lead to higher consumer costs. And we're done. Big thanks for listening. And to my producers, Tim Shovers and Naomi Shaven, have a great National Fried Chicken Day. And we'll be back tomorrow with another Axios Recap.